Tonight, um, we are going on part two of our series here dealing with um, Jewish history and how it's going to apply to uh, Christianity and to the church today. And as I said last week, my goal is to really start to lay a foundation to help you understand why the church is the way it is, why we are the way we are, and um, just give us an understanding of what makes it... um, I guess the gospel is so precious and following the covenant of God throughout all of history. Um, What I'm going to show you here, as I talked about last week, just to kind of remind you where we were left, where we left off. We've been going through history and we talked about Abraham getting the covenant, crossing over the Euphrates, and then the the establishment of Israel. Abraham has... uh, you know, uh, Ishmael and Isaac. Uh, we see Isaac then has Jacob and Esau. Jacob has the 12 tribes of Israel. Those 12 tribes of Israel, um, you know, are in slavery. They get freed from the bondage of slavery out of Egypt. They become in, they get to get into their promised land after 40 years of desert wandering. And they're all united. Hey, great, we're 12 tribes. And then Solomon dies and his idiot son screws everything up. And we divided 12 tribes into 10 and 2, primarily. And they became known as the North and the South, Israel or Judah. And that distinction is so important as you read through scriptures to understand. We, at least me, growing up in Christianity, when I heard the word Israel, I'm thinking 12 tribes. That's just the way I thought it. But that is not how the scriptures use it. And you will see that more as we go. But we saw that God raised up the kingdom of Aram, which was Damascus uh, as their capital, modern-day Syria. And Israel allied with them and in the mid-700s or so. And they went against Judah. God did not take kindly to that. Judah, again, being those two southern kingdom tribes. And so, bottom line is, God predicts their fall. And they will fall as he raises up the kingdom of Assyria. And so, by 732 uh, B.C., Aram is destroyed. By 722 B.C., Israel, those ten northern tribes were captured by Assyria, that God had raised up Assyria. Assyria had conquered Aram, and now they conquered the ten tribes of Israel and scattered them throughout the world. Ultimately, that is where we get the Samaritans, and that is where we get the lost tribes of Israel, and that brings you up to speed. But what I want to show you is that this was prophesied that this would happen. It wasn't a surprise to God. If you recall... We're not going to go there, but if you recall that when Rehoboam became king, he sent somebody to these ten rebellious tribes to go get them and to bring them back. And what do they do? They kill them. So he sends somebody else. Okay, And basically he escapes with his life and and God says, stop. This is of me. So this was not a surprise to God that the twelve tribes would be divided. 
As a matter of fact, I believe he even predicted it way back in Genesis chapter 48, verses 19 through 20, when he is blessing Jacob. Jacob is dying, and Jacob is going to actually bless the, his 12 sons. And this is the blessing that Jacob gives, or really that God gives through Jacob, to the son of Ephraim. I know, my son, I know. This is when he crosses his hands to bless Manasseh and Ephraim. And Joseph is like, no, father, this is the older one. And he says, I know, my son, I know what I'm doing. He says, he too will become a people and he too will become great. Nevertheless, his younger brother will be greater than he. And his descendants, Ephraim's descendants, will become a group of nations. We read that and we think, okay, he's going to grow. He's going to have a lot, of, a lot of descendants. But this is a very specific word and it's very important because it is the word for goyim. Today, that is still the word for Gentiles. This literally reads that he will become a group of Gentiles. Ephraim becomes Gentiles. We often today in the church view, hey, there you got those Jews that dress all funny, and then there's us, we're Gentiles. That isn't that clear cut when we look at it scripturally. We may be from the tribe of Ephraim, one of those lost ten tribes. Now, I say may be, we'll get to that later. But anyway, just this is such a distinction that very few Christians understand. But it is all throughout the Bible. This isn't just some, you know, obscure verse somewhere in Scripture. And I'm going to look at a lot of verses tonight. They're going to show you this distinction and maybe take more time than I should to show you this distinction because I think it is so important. In Jeremiah chapter 16, starting at verse 19, it says, In the day of affliction, the Gentiles, the Goim, shall come unto thee from the ends of the earth, and shall say, Surely our fathers have inherited lies, vanity, and things wherein there is no profit. Now, in this day of affliction, this is often called you know, Jacob's, the time of Jacob's trouble. Many theologians will call it that. And I find it very interesting that when the time of Jacob's trouble, sometimes people think is this is the time of the tribulation in the book of Revelation. That there is something that's supposed to happen. Gentiles, those people that these ten tribes became, they're going to come from the ends of the earth because they have been scattered throughout the earth. And they're going to say, our fathers have inherited lies. I can't think of a time in history, at least that I know of where eyes have been opened so much in such a short period of time, at least in, in our modern day, than in the last three or four years of what I have seen happen even among Christianity. The eyes of so many have been opened and it's like, oh my goodness, I have believed so many lies. I had put my faith in doctors, I had put my faith in politicians, in presidents. 
I put my faith in the government. I put my faith in the church. I even put my faith in my family. And in many cases, all of them turned their backs on me. There's something that God is doing that is, I believe, supernatural to open our eyes to see that we have inherited lies. I know when I first heard about the idea that Christmas, you know, kind of had pagan roots, I thought, that's not true. And I was hanging on to it. Because, well, it's all I knew. And don't mess with people's tradition. I loved Christmas. It was a time for my family to come home. I got to see my brothers. You know, I'm the baby of seven. So we had families, you know, my brothers and sister coming home. And I'm like all excited and looking forward to it. I mean, my best memories growing up were Christmas. Don't mess with that. Don't touch that. But you see, I love that tradition. And, and I began to think, have I inherited lies? Things of no benefit? Now, you may say, well, Christmas has a benefit. I'm not going to deny that. If you're worshiping Jesus, it does have a benefit. But I can tell you this, that was not Christmas for me. I knew what Christmas was about, but Christmas for me was presents and family. That was Christmas for me. We could go on and look at so many things in life that are that way. Ishtar and how Ishtar became Easter. And I know we hear all the, oh, Easter has no pagan roots. You go do some more research. I'm not saying that a Christian who does Easter or Christmas is pagan and that they are, you know, that they're idol worship or anything like that. But what I am saying is this, at least be honest with yourself and say we have inherited lies from our forefathers. We have to at least admit that. And until you can be honest with yourself, I can guarantee you one thing, your eyes will never be open. Shall a man make gods unto himself, and they are no gods? Therefore, behold, I will this once cause them to know. I will cause them to know mine hand and my might, and they shall know that my name is Yahweh, the Lord. I believe that this right here is a call for the Gentiles or those lost ten tribes and any who wish to join to come back to Yahweh. To come back to truth. To come back and say, enough. Enough with the world and its culture and its influence on me. I'm taking a step back. All I want is God's word. And I am going to go to God's word for truth, period. I think this is very similar to Zechariah 8.23, which talks about the end times. And it says, in the last days, ten men from all languages and nations will take firm hold of one Jew by the hem of his robe. Literally, the seat seat of his robe is what the Hebrew says. And say, let us go with you. Here is a prophecy that in the end times, you're going to have people from all languages and nations grabbing onto one Jew, which I believe is Yeshua, Jesus, by the way, grabbing onto his 
tzitzit. The tzitzit is a very important thing. That is the law and commandments of God. That's what it was a picture of. That's what scripture says. I am seeing people all around the world grabbing on to the tzitzits of Yeshua and saying, take us with you. We've heard that God is with you. That's exciting for me to see that God is opening up our eyes to see. Now, this does not mean, as we talked about last week, there is a difference between an ethnos Jew and you know, the, the cultural Jew and a covenant Jew. Our call is not to be Jewish. Our call is not to follow the Jewish culture. Our call is to follow the covenant that God made to the Jewish people. And there is a difference. In Ezekiel 34, verses 2 through 13, it says, Woe to the shepherds of Israel! who only take care of themselves, should not shepherds take care of the flock? One thing that I was shocked at at COVID is how many refused to take care of their flock. They were more worried about people leaving or getting fines than they were about protecting their flock from damage. I will remove them from tending the flock so that the shepherds can no longer feed themselves. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. I don't think it's an accident that after COVID we saw so many Christian pastors having their false theology being exposed. All of the progressiveness, the BLM, the social justice, the... Uh, homosexuality, I mean, you name it. All of these things were, were exposing these pastors. And God says, I'm going to remove them from tending the flock. I'm going to remove these shepherds so that what? So that I myself will search for them. All around the world right now, I am seeing God finding his sheep. Calling them out and they're seeing there's something wrong. I don't know what it is. I just know that this is empty. I need, I need more. Seems to be a prophecy being fulfilled. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on the day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries and I will bring them into their own land. Now, We've heard this before because I've said it many times. I, I want you to understand that we have these often called Zionists that are giving all kinds of money for Jews to get back to their homeland. That is not what this is talking about. These people who try to get Jews back to Jerusalem but won't even give them the gospel. What this is talking about is God is going to open their eyes so that they understand that Yeshua is the Mashiach, the Messiah. That they will look on him whom they pierced and they will mourn for him as one mourns for a firstborn son. In Ezekiel 36, 
couple of chapters later in verses 24 and 25, it says, For I will take you from among the heathen and gather you out of all countries, and I will bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water upon you, and you shall be clean from all the filthiness, and from all your idols will I cleanse you. I want you to know that at the time Ezekiel was saying this, that never happened. Remember, Assyria scattered those ten tribes. Then in 586 B.C., Babylon came and took Judah, the southern kingdom, primarily two tribes with a few others that I'll get to later, back to Babylon. They were there for 70 years, and then 70 years later, they got to come back to the land, but the lost scattered flock did not. These are prophecies that have not been fulfilled. Some see that when Israel became a nation in 1948, that this is the beginning of God doing these things. It might be in part, but it is not the fulfillment of it, because again, without them knowing Yeshua, Jesus, as Savior, being in their land doesn't mean anything. And that's why there's so many other prophecies saying that there's still a cleansing that's going to be coming. Until as Romans says, until they admit their guilt, quoting Hosea. I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of Gentiles comes in. And then, then, all Israel shall be saved. When all the Gentiles, the, those that I prophesied would be scattered, when all of them come in, then all Israel will be saved. There is going to be a great awakening someday soon. So, in that second verse here in Ezekiel 36, gather you out of all countries, I want you to understand, you may be the you. Some of you might be the you. We'll talk about that. Well, we talked about the land of Israel. It's called the land of Israel, not the land of Judah, because Israel is all 12 tribes. Oftentimes, you'll see Israel referring to 12 tribes before the split. After the split, most often, it refers to those 10 tribes. But then prophetically, we see Israel being all 10, or all 12 tribes once again. It's interesting that even today in an Orthodox Jewish family, there are some differences in beliefs, but for the most part, they believe that the bloodline of you being a Jew does not matter. What matters is if you embrace Judaism, true Judaism. Now, to an Orthodox, they may say, you know, rabbinic Judaism. I would disagree with that. The following the rules of men and rabbis and and all of the extra things outside of the Bible. But true Judaism is simply God's word. Biblical Judaism, we call it. And it's just interesting, I bring this up to just show you, though, that what they see that makes you a Jew is not your DNA. It's whether you believe what they believe. Jesus said the same thing in John. When he said, 
You're not children of Abraham. You're a child of the devil. Your father, the devil. He says, true children of Abraham do what Abraham did. They would follow me. They would listen to me. They would embrace what I say. And that makes you a child of Abraham. So, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 2 says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience. Wow, man, you were, you were saved for what? Unto obedience. Oh, no, you're free in Christ. Do whatever you want. No, obedience, you lawless ones. In the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. I, I put here in the Greek just to show you what this is here in the very first verse, these strangers scattered. You see here it's sojourners of the dispersion in Greek. I'm bringing you to the New Testament because a lot of people think, well, that's an Old Testament thing. Now, we, the church, have replaced the Jews. God is done with the Jews. Oh, beware. Those who bless Israel will be blessed and those who curse Israel will be cursed even to this very day. You see, we, a church, have not replaced Israel. We have joined Israel. And you're going to see that even Jesus himself is going to say that when he came, one of his primary goals was to bring all 12 tribes together. He's going to have to go a long way around getting it done. I didn't put these verses in here, but if I think it's in... in uh, Romans 10 or 11, where it talks about God has bound all men over to disobedience in order that he may have mercy on them all. And it goes and it talks about how the Gentiles, well, first the, the Jews became disobedient so that the Gentiles could be welcomed in. And now they too are going to have to become disobedient in order that the Jews become envious of them so that they come back so that he gets the, the original two tribes. Isn't that crazy? I mean, in order to get this done, to get all 12 tribes back, he came to the two, again, using in general terms, the two tribes, but they rejected him. So he says, all right, we're going to the 10, and we're going to bring them in so that these two will become jealous, and then all Israel will be saved. Romans 11, 28 through 32. Go look at that. That's the whole process of what God has to do to get all 12 tribes back. So, the sojourners of the dispersion. Now, by the way, the dispersion is basically that the scattered people of God. Well, who is that? Well, if you're going to, I mean, you can make up something if you want, but the Bible tells us the history. Ten tribes that got lost. 
John 11, 51 through 53. He did not say this. This is, by the way, uh, Caiaphas had prophesied. Okay? He did not say this on his own, but as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation. And not only for that nation, but also for the scattered children of God to bring them together and make them one. The scattered children of God. Again, I have up here the Greek for you to show you what that is. Having been scattered abroad, um, you can kind of see here denoting separation. That these were those that were separated. Just like Genesis 48.19 said that they will become a multitude of nations. A multitude of goyim. Gentiles. Caiaphas prophesied that Jesus was coming not just for the Jewish nation, which at that time did not include Samaritans. The Jewish nation was th those in Jerusalem primarily. The Samaritans, these half-breeds, nope, they, they were called Gentiles, and yet we know that they came from those lost ten tribes. And he says, not only for this Jewish nation, but for all the children of God. I'm going to back up just a little bit. Notice that same thing here. These strangers scattered throughout, elect according to the foreknowledge of God. Let me tell you, Israel is God's elect. And Scripture pretty much says that in other places. God came for His own, but His own did not receive Him. John says. Hosea 1.9 Then said God, call His name Lo-Ami, for you are not my people, and I will not be your God. Then in chapter 8 of Hosea, verse 8, Israel is swallowed up. Now shall they be among the Gentiles as a vessel wherein is no pleasure. Israel, the ten tribes, were swallowed up by the world, by the culture. Hellenized in some cases. Well, Romans 9.26, it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said unto them, you are not my people, referring back to Hosea 1.9, there shall they be called the children of the living God. A prophecy that God was going to bring them back. John 10.16, and other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. We often look at this as, you know, just a whole bunch of strangers out there. But that's not the context of what Jesus keeps saying. He's saying, I'm looking for my lost sheep. The scattered ones, the dispersed ones. Jeremiah 31, 18. I have surely heard Ephraim's moan, moaning. You discipline me like an unruly calf and I have been disciplined. Restore me and I will return. Because you are the Lord my God. After I strayed, I repented. After I came to understand, I beat my breast. I was ashamed and humiliated because I bore the disgrace of my youth. Ephraim is going to return. These lost tribes are going to return. And they're going to say, I'm ashamed. 
I'm ashamed of, of the cultures that I've brought in, of all these beliefs that I took in as my own, these traditions that I clung to, rather than chasing you and your word and following your word. Isaiah eleven thirteen: the envy also of Ephraim shall depart, and the adversaries of Judah shall be cut off. Ephraim shall not envy Judah, and Judah shall not vex Ephraim. Kind of sounds like that Romans 11. These are all prophecies of what God's heart is for. Of what his plan is. Here is that Romans 11, 25 through 30. I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. That's Yeshua. He will turn godlessness away from Jacob, the two tribes primarily. And this is my covenant with them, the Jews, when I take away their sins. As far as the gospel is concerned, they are enemies on your Gentiles' account. But as far as election is concerned, they, the Jews, are loved on account of the patriarchs, for God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. God called Abraham. He made a promise to Abraham. He made a covenant to Abraham. And that covenant has been passed on. And God is faithful to that, even though his people are not. <clears throat> Once the full number of Gentiles comes in, you might even say, Ephraim, the lost sheep, then things are going to look different. Then all Israel will be saved. Ezekiel 47, 21 through 23. You are to distribute this land among yourselves according to the tribes of Israel. Okay, again, Ezekiel is when this is going on. You are to allot it as an inheritance for yourselves and for the aliens who have settled among you and who have children. You are to consider them as native-born Israelites along with you, they are to be allotted an inheritance among the tribes of Israel. In whatever tribe the alien settles, there you are to give him his inheritance, declares the sovereign Lord. We're going to see the same thing in Exodus as well, even before the split takes place about aliens joining. That's why I said some of you might be some of these lost sheep. Today there are some people out there who believe that if you are a believer today, it is God supernaturally working this miracle in your life to bring you to faith because you are one of those lost ten tribes. And so, as you're going to see in a verse coming up, that's who he came for, so you have to be one of those twelve tribes. I don't believe that. I think that's wrong. Because... Not only do we see it here in Ezekiel, we're going to see it also in Exodus coming up, that there are aliens that could join and be grafted in as well to those tribes. What about people like Rahab? She was not. Uriah. Yeah. Uriah was not. Ruth was not. Okay. None of those people were. Ruth was a Moabite. Are we making an incorrect assumption when we hear the phrase elect 
and assuming that only the elect can come to faith and not that those who aren't elect can't necessarily be grafted in such as those individuals? Good question. Are only the elect saved? I think in this, the way that the scriptures are using it here, no. Okay, Israel is was there was the elect. And when you elect somebody, you elect them for a job and a purpose. And God elected Israel, you might say, to be a blessing to the nations, as we saw. Just because you're a Jew doesn't make you elect. Those Pharisees who had DNA blood, Jesus says, you are not my children. You are not my elect. And so, yeah, I think sometimes the elect can be a purpose. Were those Pharisees God's elect? In some definitions of it, I would say yes, they were, because they were do, supposed to do a job. They failed at their job, but they were not saved. Other verses you will see, though, that it's talking about, yeah, those that God has called, they're his elect, they are then the saved ones. So it depends on the context of the verse that you have to look at, but not always. Zechariah 8.13 and it shall come to pass that as you were a curse among the heathen, O house of Judah and the house of Israel. Notice how it splits that. You're going to see that so often after Rehoboam, this house of Israel, the house of Judah. Ephraim, Israel. All of these different ways of saying it to make a distinction between these groups. You shall be a, blessed, a blessing. Fear not, but let your hands be strong. Just like we talked about last week, the call of Abraham was to be a blessing. And here we said, O house of Judah and house of Israel, so I will save you and you shall be a blessing. God has called you and your purpose still stands to be a blessing to the world. I think a blessing even to those aliens so that they would be envious and want to come and say, take us with you. Hosea 8.8 8. Israel is swallowed up, now shall they be among the Gentiles. We saw that before. Amos 9.9, 9, For lo, I command, and I will sit, sift the house of Israel among all nations. We're going to scatter them around. Like as corn is sifted in a sieve, yet shall not the least grain fall upon the earth. It's going to sift them, but I'm going to be faithful. Numbers 9.14, And if a stranger shall sojourn among you, and will keep the Passover unto the Lord according to the ordinance of the Passover and according to the manner thereof, so shall he do. Ye shall have one ordinance, both for the stranger and for him that was born in the land. There are those, we talked about this, I think when we went through the book of Hebrews, this idea of called a dual covenant. There's a, a covenant for the Jew and then there's a covenant for all the rest of God's people. No, one ordinance for all of you. One covenant for all of you. He didn't make two separate rules. And that's what we see here, that one ordinance, both for the stranger, the alien, and for him that was born in the land. And that would be the 12 tribes at that point in the book of Numbers. Isaiah 56, verses 3 through 8, Neither let the son of the stranger that hath joined himself to the Lord speak, saying, The Lord hath utterly separated me from his people. Neither let the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. 
Don't let Gentiles say God has separated me from his people. And what's the church say today primarily in Christianity? We've replaced them. Or we have different rules. That is not what Scripture says from beginning to end. I love this because if you recall Philip the Ethiopian eunuch when he was in the New Testament, uh, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, Philip is you know walking along, he sees this Ethiopian eunuch riding along on the chariot. God basically tells him, go talk to him. So he runs up to the chariot and uh, he sees that this Ethiopian eunuch is reading from the book of Isaiah. I think three chapters before this verse. I love that. Isaiah 53, it's talking about Yeshua being the Messiah. And so Philip says, do you understand what you're reading? And the Ethiopian eunuch says, how can I? Unless someone you know, teaches me, how can I know? And Paul gets him off of the chariot, explains to him that you're reading about Jesus, the guy that just died here in Jerusalem. He's the Messiah. And the guy's like, oh my goodness, I believe. And he says, here's some water. What keeps me from being baptized? So he baptizes him. And then all of a sudden, boom, Philip is taken and he's gone. You know, I, I'm sure the Ethiopian eunuch was <laughs> an angel from heaven. Do you think that that Ethiopian eunuch would say, well, I'm done reading the Bible? All but he got right back on and he started reading with a new heart and just excitement. And then just three chapters later, he's reading. Neither let the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. Wow! Can you imagine that? Just like, whoa, a hug from God right there. This Ethiopian eunuch realizing God sent his son to die for me. For thus saith the Lord unto the eunuch that Keep my Sabbaths. Choose the things that please me and take hold of my covenant. Even unto them will I give in my house and within my walls a place and a name better than the sons and of daughters. If I was that Ethiopian eunuch, I think I'd break down weeping. But here is an alien, just as what has been predicted in Numbers and Ezekiel and all of these places. An alien joining with the same rules that keep my Sabbaths. Choose the things that please me and take hold of my covenant. But, no, you're separate. We're the church. Now we have different rules. And the Ten Commandments, you don't have to follow those. Those are all gone. Jesus did that for you. So don't worry about that. Go be free. You know, party hard. Party, long party, whatever. It goes the other way. It's kind of a private thing, but my wife is sleeping, so she uh, didn't hear it. So. Okay. Okay. Mr. Bus Driver? Yeah. <laughs> it, it's funny because it, it goes the other way, too. Like, the church is saying that they're different from the Jews, but when we encountered the Jews in the Grand Canyon, and I said, oh, we, you know, our covenant shouldn't be much different than yours. And boy, they did not want to talk to me. No. They did not want to talk to me. And why would they? Because your covenant to them is a covenant of the devil. Yeah. Your covenant to them is a covenant that, hey, you don't have to keep the commandments of God. 
You don't have to keep the Sabbath. You can eat anything you want. You can do. You can break all of God's commandments. And they would be like, listen, our Messiah would not teach that. So why? I mean, I don't blame them. Yeah, you're right. Nor ours. So a beautiful verse talking about this, that we have been joined in. We, you might be one of those lost tribes, but you also might just be an alien joined. Yeah. You like that, Simeon? <laughs> anyway, Isaiah 56, verse 6 continues and it says i will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off also the sons of the stranger that join themselves to the lord to serve him to love the name of the lord to be his servants everyone that keepeth the sabbath from polluting it and taketh hold of my covenant he repeats it again even them will i bring to my holy mountain and i love this and make them joyful in my house of prayer. I've said so often, don't expect the joy of your salvation if you're going to watch the same garbage that the rest of our culture is telling you to watch. Don't expect the joy of your salvation if you're going to just keep denying the Sabbath. Go to church on Sunday, come home and watch football or whatever other thing you want to do that you're not going to make it holy, which, by the way, you can't make a day holy no matter what you do anyway, right? Well, God makes a day holy. You don't make it holy. God made it holy. And he blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. You can take Monday and pray all day long, worship all day long, and you did not make that day holy. You can benefit from it, but you're not making that day holy. I love this, the joy in my house of prayer. We've talked about this before too, but remember Jesus, he says that, I, I, I've got to get to the right spot in my brain, but I, it's not working. I have told you this, that your joy, if you keep my commandments, something like this, he, says, he goes on and he says, I have told you this, that your joy may be complete. Find that for me, Jamie. Um, and John, I have told you this, that your joy may be complete. You've got to back up just a little bit. But the bottom line is, if you remain in me, I will remain in you, is what he's saying. Yeah, I am the vine, you are the branches. John 15, I think. Or, yeah. Back checkers are working on it. And, yeah. But the point being is that he's saying, if you remain in me and if you obey me, go ahead. If you keep my commandments and remain in me. If you don't, don't expect the joy. Oh, you might be saved. But don't, don't think you're going to have joy in the house of prayer. Don't think you're going to have joy in the house of God. Don't think you're going to have joy on the Sabbath. I was talking with Eden about this here. And just how, what a blessing the Sabbath has been. 
that we look forward to it. I, most of you understand that. We look forward to it every week because it's a joy, it's a delight. I can't put into words. It's only something that God gives people. But this is what this is saying here. These are the ones that, you know, love me and serve me and keep the Sabbath without polluting it. They're the ones that I'm going to bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in the house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices shall be accepted upon my altar, for mine house shall be called a house of prayer for all people. Now that little sacrifice thing might screw you up and go, whoa, 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 what? We're not sacrificing goats out here. Well, again, we read in Isaiah here, end time stuff. Zechariah talks about the same thing, end time stuff. And he talks about burnt offerings and sacrifices as well. These are not sin offerings. These are not sacrifices for sin. I don't understand it all. But I can tell you this, the Bible is very clear that even like in that millennial period type thing, whatever that looks like, there are burnt offerings being made because some burnt offerings are they're not for sin. It's thank offerings. It's giving praises to God. And so that's what's happening here. Not about sin. Not you know trying to earn or do some ritual in order for, you know for the blood of Jesus to become effective here. The Lord God which gathereth the outcasts of Israel saith, Yet will I gather others to him. God's goal was to gather those ten tribes, but then also gather others, aliens, besides those that are gathered unto him. Now, by the way, Jesus quotes this verse, showing that this isn't just an Old Testament thing. I don't understand how we can say, well, that's Old Testament, so you know it doesn't really matter. Unless you find something that supports your idea, then all of a sudden the Old Testament is great. Jesus is quoting this as a future thing prophetically. And it's a New Testament thing, therefore. As we've said many times, the New Testament is primarily the Old Testament being quoted. And somehow we think, well, it's different. No, the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed, and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. Exodus 12, 48, And when a stranger shall sojourn with thee, and I will keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised, and let, then let him come near and keep it, and he shall be as one that is born in the land. Same kind of idea. Leviticus 19, Let the stranger that dwells with you shall be unto you as one born among you, and thou shalt love him as thyself. Um, so again, there are those that if we grab on to the covenant, not to the Jew, unless you're talking about the one Jew, Jesus, because some have forgotten he was a Jew too. <laughs> you take firm hold of one Jew by the seat seat and say, take us with you. Isaiah 14.1, the Lord will have compassion on Jacob. Once again, he will choose Israel and will settle them in their own land. Aliens will join them and unite with the house of Jacob. Matthew 15, Jesus, his own words, what does he say? By the way, the context of this is the woman of Canaan. And she has this demon-possessed daughter. 
And she's coming begging Jesus to heal her daughter. And Jesus says this, I was only sent to the lost sheep of Israel. Whoa, preach that from the pulpit today. Those are Jesus' own words. This Canaanite Gentile alien is saying, Lord, help me. Help me. And he says, woman, I was only sent to the lost sheep of Israel. That's who I came for. Does Jesus just turn her away then? No. He says, because of your faith, she is healed. You see, this woman joined, signed up for it, and became one of those lost sheep of Israel. Jesus himself is telling us who he came for. It doesn't mean that the rest are shut off. You're welcome. You're welcome to join. But to do so, then you grab hold and take part of the same ordinances, the same rules, the same life-giving sap, nourishing sap from the olive root. Galatians 3.29 if ye be Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. The promise that he gave Abraham. Not some new promise he gave to the church, but a promise he gave to Abraham. Hebrews 12, verse 16, and jumping around a little. See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. Who is the church of the firstborn? Well, we are. God's done with the Jew. No, no. Let scripture define who the church of the firstborn is. Exodus 4 says, Then say to Pharaoh, This is what the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn son. It is all about God being faithful to his promise. And the church is called the firstborn when we join that covenant and that promise. No dual covenant here at all. And I do believe this is foundational to understand all of the Bible. Revelation 21, <clears throat> we see on the gates of the new Jerusalem are written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. And we've said when we went through Revelation, which gate are you going through? I don't know. But you're going to go through a gate. I think you'll probably be assigned a tribe or whatever. All I know is that you could look at people like Job... Job is before the 12 tribes. Noah, Adam, what tribe are they in? Don't know. But they're going to go through one of those gates. Is there any historical context about... I'm over here. There you go. Okay. <laughs> and a sound just to say... <laughs> go ahead. Like for the like Rahab and what tribe she might have not that I'm aware of. There may be within Jewish records, yeah. but not. I don't know what it is. So, yeah, it's a good question. 
Matthew 28, then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. You know, one disciples individuals, not nations. This is the word for Gentiles, which would include the lost sheep of Israel, all nations. And I just find it interesting that the Jews here are the ones that are being told to go get the Gentiles. And now, we as Gentiles are saying, ha, leave the Jews behind. I find it fascinating that when you go through the book of Acts, when Peter or Paul, every time they went someplace, who did they go and preach to first? The Jews. Every single time. And when the Jews would reject it, then they would go and give it to the Gentiles. Isn't it interesting that we, as a New Testament Acts church, who do we go to first? Anybody but the Jew. Something's wrong with our foundation. Something is wrong with our understanding. Has this anti-Semitic attitude in the church caused us to not you know, go to all nations, not be faithful to His covenant, not be faithful to His commandments. Now, an objection to these lost tribes, as I said that I agree with these objections, to those who say that if you're a believer, you're of those 12 tribes, we see here in 2 Chronicles 30, at the king's command, couriers went throughout Israel and Judah, that's all 12 tribes, with letters from the king and from his officials, which read, People of Israel, return to the Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, that he may return to you who are left, who have escaped from the hand of the king of Assyria. Remember when Assyria came in and conquered these 10 tribes and scattered them? There were people hiding. There were people that fled. And he's saying to these people, come back. You guys have strayed because remember, Israel, Judah, 1920-08. Out of the 19 kings of Israel, not a single one followed God. Israel was a Gentile thinking nation. They had God in name, but they had festivals to worship God on their own dates. That's literally what it says in Scripture. They did all kinds of things under the name of God, but not a single godly king. I don't know if that rings a bell to anybody or not, but... But here we see him saying, come back, come to us, return to the Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, that he may return to you. Verse 18, although most of the many people who came from Ephraim, Manasseh, Issachar, and Zebulun had not purified themselves, yet they ate the Passover contrary to what was written. 
They were unclean at that time. But Hezekiah prays for them. And God listens and answers. It's okay. They don't know. I'll be patient with them. I'll be patient. I can see their heart that they want to return to God. And they want to celebrate the Passover. Because these people had not done it. These are Israelites. The ten tribes. And they had not kept the Passover. They didn't know how to do it properly. And God says, it's okay, come back. You'll learn. Acts 26, 7, this is the promise our 12 tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. Paul is recognizing these lost tribes. In James 1, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Luke 2.36 talks about a prophetess, Anna, who was from the tribe of Asher. That's not the two tribes. That's because at that time in Chronicles, there were people who said, I want to grab on to the hem of a Jew. I will return and I will learn his ways. I will follow him. And because of that, when Messiah came, there were those small handful that got to see it because they obeyed. But we see in Acts and in James a call for these people, just like in Chronicles, come back. Come back, you Samaritans. Come back, you Gentiles, to the covenant that God made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's yours if you want it. So, as far as the Old Testament teaching is concerned on the New Covenant, it was a covenant made for and to the Jewish people. And if you want to be part of the New Covenant, you are one of those aliens or lost tribes that are to be brought back and to say yes Teach me your ways, O Lord, that I may know you and continue to find favor in your eyes. You have a choice to sojourn, sojourn with Israel, to keep the Passover, to call the Sabbath a delight, to say, God, I want to take my life seriously. Not, we're not talking about being saved here. Lord, okay, I want to be saved, so I'm going to start keeping the Sabbath. Eh, wrong. I'm talking because you're saved. Lord, because you saved me. I want to I know you. I want to I follow your commandments because I know those are you. It's about you and your character. And I desire to know more of you. Because I'm saved, Lord, I want to keep the Sabbath. Those are two very different things. If you are one of those that want to sojourn, the promise in this presentation then is for you. Not just Jews, as one normally thinks of Jews, but to the alien, to the Canaanite, to the Moabite, to whoever wants it. I'm going to close with this here just to kind of remind you of the history because next week then we're going to get into the Samaritans and we're going to dive into this a little bit more of what happened to these ten tribes. 
We talked last week, it was about 1400 B.C. that Moses was around. About 1050 B.C., the kings begin with uh, the time of Saul. Saul, the first king, but he has no heart for God, so he calls David. David becomes king around 1000 B.C. And then from David, it goes to Solomon, to Rehoboam, and the split. And then you have all these kings going on. And during that time, around 900 B.C., is when Aram rises to power, with Damascus being its main capital. But around 800 B.C., just 100 years later, by that time, Assyria is the one rising up, with Nineveh being its capital, and they are going to destroy Aram in about 732 B.C. Once Aram is out of the way, they were the ones that Israel, the ten tribes, were leaning on for their strength and kind of, you know, buddying up with. Now they're gone. They have nobody to lean on. And so the Assyrians come in and in 722 B.C. make this scattering take place. And Assyria then will rule from about 700 to 600 B.C. until we see the Babylonians come. God is going to raise up the Babylonians to be a world power. And so that is the history that we've kind of gone through quickly. So with that, we're going to close in prayer. And I'll let you decide how you want to sojourn in the covenant with Christ. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time, for this word. And Lord, I may have... Uh, I don't want to say bold, maybe animated. I don't know what it is. Very serious about this. Because, Lord, I know this is a serious topic, and I know that we have far too long inherited lies from our forefathers, things of, of no benefit. And we have far too long worshipped you the way we have wanted to worship you when we want to worship you, how we want to worship you, but not when and how you've told us to do it, when and how you've described the benefits. God, I repent of that. I, I, I'm sorry that for most of my life I've done that. And I'll let everybody else in this room confess that as they desire or will or believe, but... Lord, I know what your word says. And I know it's hard to let go of culture, let go of my upbringing, and let go of just because I was raised and taught this, let go of my worldview. But I just pray that you would get rid of it all and continue to open our eyes to truth, that you would remove <clears throat> anything that is not of you and let us just seek you with a, a whole heart even when we don't understand things as Daniel had preached here a few weeks back nevertheless Lord because you say I will do nevertheless Lord let that be a motto in our life I pray this in the name of Yeshua Amen